Good morning. We're actually going to start out in uh, chapter 4, verse 6, and read Micah 5 through 6. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away, and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make a remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, for the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn of iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat in pieces many peoples, and devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. In chapter 5, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, Siege is laid against us. With the rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Erpath, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me the one who is to be ruler of Israel, who is coming forth, who is coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she is in labor and has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of his name, the Lord is God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrians come into our land and treads in our places, then we'll raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into our land and treads within our border. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer as we begin our study in God's word this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness in sending your son Jesus As we just sang, we're grateful, Lord, for our Lord, Emmanuel. We thank you, Lord, for the anticipation and the arrival of your son. Father, it is glorious news. And we are grateful for how you orchestrated your son's coming to earth We're grateful for your love toward us, your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness and your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your people, people whom we see in the scriptures, people that you used mightily to manifest this Christ to come. Thank you for the prophets of whom we'll speak today. 
Thank you for their willingness to speak your words in the context of difficult trials, imprisonments, beatings, and even death. Lord, just as you spoke to your people then, you are still speaking today to your children. I pray today, Lord, that we would have ears to hear what you're saying to us. And I pray, Father, that we would walk in obedience under your care as you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Thank you, Father, for being our good shepherd, for guiding and directing our steps. And may your word this morning direct our thoughts, our attitudes, and may it make a difference in all that we do and say. Father, we recognize from the whole of Scripture that there is none like you. And in the name of the one who came forth to be ruler in Israel, the long-awaited Christ, we pray these things. Amen. We are week three of five weeks on a study on the Advent, the Advent through the eyes of. And if you've been here with us these last couple weeks, you know that we began all the way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis 3, 15 was our primary verse that we looked at for that Sunday. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even back in the book of Genesis, after the fall of man, in Genesis chapter 3, we see pronounced to the serpent, this time that would come when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We saw last week in the book of Isaiah looking at the advent through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. Reminded there of Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And today I'd like for us to be able to see this advent, this arrival, this anticipation of Christ through the lens, through the eyes of Micah, the prophet. I want you to see the lens through which Micah speaks of Christ's coming. Why is Micah writing this book? He's writing, 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us that all who wrote, these holy men who wrote, they were carried along by whom? Do you remember? The Holy Spirit. Micah is writing, carried along by the Holy Spirit, used of God. Why this particular book? And another question I'd like for you to consider is, in what context does the advent of Christ sit? We're looking at at, at Micah chapter 5, in those few verses in Micah chapter 5, but we need to ask the question, how do we arrive at the coming Christ... And talk of this coming Christ in Micah chapter 5. There's a lot of wonderful, rich context. A unique lens through which we see the arrival of Christ put forth by Micah, carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
I would imagine that there are many of you here who don't know a whole lot about Micah. Maybe haven't read in quite some time the seven chapters of Micah. If you've not read the seven chapters of Micah, your assignment for today, at some point today, read through the book of Micah. It will be of great benefit to you, I assure you. There is much to glean in the book of Micah. And what I'd like to do is just initially give us some handholds on who Micah is and what Micah's purpose is here in the scripture. Because it's important as we're looking at the advent, the arrival, the anticipation of Christ. Micah is going to speak to this. It's important, though, we know a little bit about Micah and the times in which he lived. First of all, I think it's helpful for us to know that Micah was a country prophet. He was from the country. Morishath, Gath. We see that in chapter 1, verse 14. We see in chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth. Morasheth was about 25 miles, give or take, southwest of Jerusalem. Okay? On the map. So if you're looking at the map, see Jerusalem, you go southwest 20, 25 miles, and there is Morasheth, right on the border there. Gath is... Oftentimes we think of Gath maybe as a a Philistine city and we think of uh, the battles that took place between the Israelites and the Philistines. Micah is from this area. Micah received the word of the Lord, chapter 1, the word of the Lord that came to him. He's receiving a word from the Lord to speak, this is important, he's speaking Pointed words to both Israel and Judah. Okay? The kingdom at this time, when Micah was around, the kingdom is divided. In fact, it's been divided for quite some time now. It was split following Solomon's day. Remember Rehoboam, Jeroboam? Most of what Micah writes, though, we need to understand, most of what he writes is to the people of Judah. Micah served the Lord during the reign of three kings of Judah. We see this in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah in the days of. Here are the kings that were reigning at the time Micah was around. Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Out of those three, you probably are most familiar with Hezekiah. I believe it's important that we understand the days and the times in which Micah is giving his prophecy. Let me give you some quick bullets. First, for Jotham. We can read about Jotham in 2 Kings 15, 2 Chronicles 27. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. The Bible says that he did what was right as his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed and the people still sacrificed and burned incense on those high places. And the Bible says in chapter 27 of 2 Chronicles, 
the people still, during the days of Jotham, the people still acted corruptly. That's interesting because in the book of Micah, we see Micah addressing corruption. So we piece together these events of the day with the writing of the prophet Micah. We see that Jotham, during his day as he was king, Ammon, who was of the Ammonites, was paying tribute to Jotham for the first three years. Well, what's that mean? What's that have to do with anything? Well, what we come to find out is that there was great abundance in the land during Jotham's day. Abundance that led itself to corruption. We see some good things from Jotham. He became mighty, the Bible says in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 27, 6. It says because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. There are some good things about Jotham in the scripture. And then we see Ahaz, 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 28. Ahaz was the son of Jotham. He was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years as well in Jerusalem. The Bible says he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. In fact, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. How many of you know anything about the kings of Israel? Anybody know anything? What do we know about the kings of Israel? What would you say? Were they good or bad? I'll help you out. Bad. Yeah, have you ever seen one of those charts that, that has all the kings listed? You know, and it blows me away to be able to look at Israel, the kings of Israel, and there's not one of them. It's all, this is bad, 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 bad. Praise the Lord, Judah had some good kings. There were some good things that we could look at and we could model, emulate, and see as an example and pattern. There's some people that stand out because there were so many that were doing wicked, evil things. They were walking contrary to the Lord. Keep in mind, these were the kings overruling, presiding over the people. This is the way they were leading. Very wickedly, corruptly. Well, Ahaz didn't do what was right. He made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in places where he ought not to have been burning incense. Here's one. He burned his children in the fire, as was the practice of the heathen nations around him. This was a king of God's people. During this particular time, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramalia, reigning in Israel, they came to make war with Ahaz, and God delivered them into the hands of Syria and Israel for a time. And then there was this prophet named Obed. He informs Israel that God was angry with Israel over how they'd treated Judah, and he caused them to return the people to the land. You see, because there were Edomites that had been attacking Judah at the time, there were Philistines as well that were coming in. They were carrying away captive the people of Judah. We see all this coming together when you piece it together and you see the scripture. You see, Ahaz makes a decision. Fearing the safety of all those involved in his country, he sends messengers to Tiglath-Pelesar, who at the time was the king of Assyria. 
And he, he wants to place himself under the service of Assyria in an effort to keep Syria and Israel from attacking. 2 Chronicles 28:19 it says for the Lord had brought Judah low. Here's why the Lord brought Judah low. Because Ahaz, because of Ahaz king of Israel. How would you like that one? Just as a matter of a side note principle point put forward. Ahaz was a king over a nation. Men, you've been placed as heads in your home. Kings if you will in your home. Prophet, priest in your home. I want to encourage you this morning, just as an offshoot principle here in the scripture, not to allow that to be spoken of you. That because of you, because of your negligence, because of dropping the ball, because you did not train up your children. Let's not be so far removed from this that we miss the principles because they do apply each and every day. That same Chronicles 28 passage, not only does it say that he brought Judah low because of Ahaz, but he says, for he had, listen, here's why. He encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. As a gift to the Assyrian king, he sends him silver and gold, the silver and gold, in fact, that were found in the house of the Lord. And the Bible says that the king of Assyria heeded him. Of course he did, because the king of Assyria had a plan. God had a bigger plan, though. Praise the Lord. Ahaz goes to Damascus to meet with Tiglath-Pileser, and he sees an altar there that he likes. Thinks it's pretty neat. In fact, he thinks it's so neat that he has Urijah, his priest, go back and make a replica of that altar back home in Jerusalem. And sets aside the original bronze altar that God had instituted. Now, in the time of his distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord, the Bible says, he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. Listen to what he says. Listen to the logic. Listen to his thinking. He says, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. That was the way he operated. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. You see, when we choose, church, when we choose to operate and do the things that the world's doing, operate the ways of the world... They're going to be a ruin to us as well. When we're not standing upon what God has already spoken, what God has said, we're going to find ourselves in the same position. And then there's Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18 through 20. There's so much about Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. Isaiah 36 through 39. He was the son of Ahaz. He was 25 when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. The Bible says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He removed the high places. He broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden images. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Listen, you know, when I first read that, I thought, well, man, why did he do that? 
He did it for good reason. Here's why he did it. The Bible says he did it because for until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it. That's why. The Bible says that Hezekiah trusted, listen to this. Listen to the contrast here. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled, listen, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. That's important. He says to the priests, to the Levites, as he was doing some reforming of the nation, he says, my sons, do not be negligent now for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and that you should minister to him and burn incense and to do it in the right way, the way God has called for it to be done. Hezekiah cleansed the house of the Lord. He restored temple worship. There was singing. There was worship as in the days of old, as in the days of David and Asaph. Hezekiah restored these things. He also restored and kept Passover. And he gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught, listen, all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. It's no wonder that 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 26 says, there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. Was Hezekiah perfect in all his ways? No. He definitely had some spots, especially near the end. When he brought him in, remember when he brought him in to the Lord's house and showed him all the things? We're not talking about a perfect person here, but we are talking about a king who with all of his heart, exemplified what it meant to seek the Lord, to follow the Lord, his God. He did it, in fact, the Bible says, with all his heart. And so he prospered. So Micah of Moresheth is one who is on the scene during the reign of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. I give you a brief rundown of those three kings because I believe it's helpful for context. It's helpful to see what was going on, how these kings ruled during this time. That's the time Micah is around prophesying. Note two, Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah. That's where we were last week. Isaiah was around a little bit before during the reign of Uzziah. He's also a contemporary of Hosea and Amos. In fact, you can read, as I said earlier, you can read some passages in Isaiah 36 through 39 about that context of Hezekiah during the reign of Hezekiah and what went on there. We see also Micah in his words. They're remembered even by the prophet Jeremiah. This is helpful, I think, and, and good to look at. In Jeremiah chapter 26, if you have your Bible, Jeremiah chapter 26, you can turn there for just a moment. In Jeremiah 26, Jeremiah is 
prophesying. A word. This is like a pattern. This is nothing out of the ordinary for the prophet Jeremiah. He's speaking the words of the Lord. He gets thrown into prison, brought before the people. They're saying he ought to die. And then verse 16, the princes and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, Jeremiah 26, this man does not deserve to die. For he's spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And then certain of the elders of the land, they rose up and spoke to all assembly. Listen to what they say here. Starting verse 18. Micah of Moresheth, that's our prophet we're talking about today. Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of whom? Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. That's Micah 3, verse 12. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom which he had pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. And then they turn around and they point out about this man, Uriah, who was prophesying the same thing. And Jehoiakim, who happened to be king at the time, goes after him and kills him because he doesn't like what's being prophesied against his nation. Doesn't like that word. We need to understand something. There are going to be times in our lives when we may not like a certain word that someone brings to us. If it's from the Lord, and we see here, these people are bringing and raising to attention Micah's prophecy. And they are essentially validating his prophecy as truth. It's of the Lord. Jeremiah is sitting in prison. His life's in the balance. And there's some spokespersons for Jeremiah here. Praise the Lord. But I want you to see this too. The difference between what happened to Micah, or excuse me, what happened in the context of Micah and what happened in the context of Uriah prophesying. Two different kings. Hezekiah, we already talked about. Hezekiah was one who was seeking after, wholeheartedly seeking after the Lord as God. Jehoiakim, not so. He's going after this prophet, and in fact, he kills him. He just gets rid of him. There's a principle here as well. And it's the principle of being able to Listen and know and have discernment on the things of the Lord. Because you see, if you are listening to the Lord, if you are discerning things of the Lord, you're not going to immediately just turn away one who is speaking truth. In this case, Micah. Micah's word. The people heard Micah's word. And they're talking about it days later in the days of Jeremiah. Oh, you remember what Micah said? People listened to what Micah had to say. Remember, Micah was from the country. He wasn't from the town. He, he wasn't in the same mold as Isaiah. But he had a message that was very similar. He was talking and addressing very similar things as Isaiah was in the day. He comes from the country to the big city, if you will, and he's given a message from the Lord. Praise the Lord, they're remembered. 
We need to remember, too, as a country prophet, Micah was concerned about the poor. He was concerned about the oppressive nature of the rich, the ruling council, the priests, the princes, the judges of the day who were lording it over, who were scheming together, the Bible says in Micah's uh, book here. We see that if you read Micah, you can't miss it. It's there. Micah is concerned. Here's a key word in Micah. He's concerned about the justice of affairs in Judah, similar to Amos in this regard. Remember, Amos was from the, he was a sheep herder from Tekoa, Amos, okay? They share some commonalities, the two of them as prophets. The time frame we're talking about is 8th century B.C., 750 to 700, give or take, all right? If we read the book of Micah, we see that he speaks of pending Assyrian captivity of Israel. Hadn't happened yet, but he's talking about it. It's going to happen. And we see that on the timeline of history events, 722 is when Israel is taken into captivity, by Syria. We see also in Micah's book that he speaks of Assyria's attempted takeover of Judah. And on the timeline of the events, that's right around 701, 700, right around in that area. And Sennacherib comes on the scene. We think about and ask the question, what message does Micah speak? Again, thinking about the context of the advent, the context of the arrival of Christ and putting that forward in Micah chapter 5. He's speaking of pending judgment both to Israel and to Judah. You can't miss that as you read the book. Pending judgment. There's judgment to come. He's also speaking to pointed sins that are leading them into judgment. He's saying, essentially, there's a reason that you're going to be going into captivity. And it has everything to do with your sin, has everything to do with your disobedience to the ways of the Lord. Has that message changed any today? You see people today that are in captivity, they're in bondage, they're struggling, they're hurting. And many are in those places. Many are in those places because of their own sin. Because of their own foolish decisions. Because of their disobedience to the ways of the Lord God. Because of the way they profane the name of the Lord, their God. Treating Him as common. Treating Him as ordinary. What we're talking about back in the 8th century B.C. is still happening today. Micah is also speaking and giving clear instruction on what the Lord requires of his people. We can't miss this in Micah chapter 6. In fact, this is probably one of the more well-known passages in Micah. Micah 5 is, is, is a well-known passage, but Micah 6 is also a well-known passage. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. See, I think this verse, this is one of the many verses in Scripture that, that maybe as a child you learn this verse. It's a great verse to know, by the way, Micah 6, verse 8. But it's even better to know why it's there and how, how come it sits in the context that it does. He says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require? What does the Lord require of you? I'll emphasize that word. I believe it's an important word. Require. 
he requires of you, but to do justly, there's a theme, justice, justly, do justly, because there were so many that weren't doing justly. What's the Lord? The Lord has already been clear, Micah said. He's already talked about this. This is not new information. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. He speaks of clear instruction on what the Lord requires of his people. He's not just condemning, pointing out, hey, you've done this, you've done this, you've done this. He's also saying, here's what the Lord requires. Here's what the Lord requires. And calling people to walk in that way. And we also see a familiar theme here in Micah. It's throughout many, if not all, the prophets. Hope and restoration. Key theme. In spite of judgment. I'm reminded of that picture Kevin put forth last week. The picture of the land of stumps. Remember that? And what came right on the heels of the land of stumps? Isaiah 11, verse 1, right? There's going to come forth, what? A shoot from the line of Jesse. A branch It's going to take root. Hope and restoration in the midst of judgment. It's in the midst of this prophetic hope and restoration that we arrive at Micah chapter 5. And you see Micah... Speaking the words of the Lord, he's calling attention not only to the Christ yet to come, but pointing out where this Christ would come from. Where? If you look first at chapter 5, verse 1. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us context. Who's laying siege against whom? Well, I believe here in chapter 5, he's making reference to the siege that was going on. Sennacherib was surrounding them, the days of Hezekiah. Read that story, by the way, if you haven't read it. It's powerful. Remember at the beginning of the year, in fact, it takes us back to the beginning of the year when we were preaching through Hezekiah. We preached that message on what Hezekiah did in response to what was going on around him. Do you remember the news? He got the word, and what did he do? He goes up into his room, and he spreads it all out before the Lord in prayer. Because of that, the word comes from Isaiah the prophet. Such an encouraging word Isaiah gives to him, a word of assurance of what's going to happen. And so here in Micah chapter 5, verse 1 He's laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 10 here. It says, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall strike you with a rod and lift up his staff against you in the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while and the indignation will cease as will my anger in their destruction. Sennacherib made his way to the gates of Jerusalem. Things are not looking good for King Hezekiah and his people. 
Assyria has already laid waste the surrounding nations and their lands. And Judah looks like the next in line. A long line, long path of destruction under the reign of the Assyrian king, Sennacherib. The messengers, in fact, of Sennacherib are issuing threats, remember, to the people. They're trying to sway the people's allegiance away from Hezekiah and making all of these humiliating comments about Hezekiah and about the people of Judah and holding up their king, Sennacherib. And you ought to want and you ought to desire to be a part of Sennacherib's nation because of how great and how mighty he is. I'm I'm recounting this because it's important. Again, Micah is speaking and addressing people, princes, rulers, who are taking full advantage of their status. And he's coming and he's preaching a word and he's proclaiming a word to the people of Judah. There is a ruler to come who is going to do things differently. Who is going to be just. He's going to be merciful. He's going to speak truth. He's going to reign in righteousness. Sennacherib may have done many things. He may have destroyed many lands and many nations. But Sennacherib, even Sennacherib, the mighty Sennacherib, the mighty Assyrian army, is under the control of our almighty God. Hezekiah spreads this out before the Lord. He sought counsel from the prophet Isaiah and he's received back this confirming word of testimony. Listen to this. We see this in 2 Kings 19, 32 to 34. Isaiah's words back to Hezekiah. He shall not come into the city. Talking about Sennacherib. He's not going to come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there. Nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. He shall not come into the city, for I will defend this city to save it. For my own sake and for my servant David's sake. You see, God is a God who stands on his promises. What he's set back here, he's going to make good down here. He's already spoken what he's going to do and in whom he's going to fulfill these things. This is really good, you see, because it's in the midst of feeling overwhelmed by the enemy pressing in that God himself speaks these words through the prophet Micah. Look at this, 5, verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. God himself speaking here through the prophet. Notice second person here. You. But you, Bethlehem. Though Jerusalem would be overthrown later on and taken away into Babylonian captivity. In fact, Micah talks about that. Middle of chapter 4, verse 10. He says, you shall dwell in the field and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Micah's talking about this. He 
He's prophesying here of another ruler to come. A ruler that is going to govern his people differently than many of the priests and many of the judges of the day. And you know, this reminded me of the blessing that was given way back in Genesis chapter 49. You might remember that. The blessing given to Judah. And there's a, there's a verse there that was interesting. It struck me this week as I was reading Micah. Genesis 49 verse 10. It says that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. There is coming a day, says Micah, when the Lord will set forth a ruler of his own who will reign and rule in righteousness, truth, mercy, and establish justice. In short, this ruler would make all things right. And he's coming, listen, he's coming to Bethlehem Ephrathah. That's where he's coming. You see, Isaiah prophesies of a savior born of a virgin. Micah prophesies of a sovereign king born in a village, small village, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. It would be like, you know, some, some asked, even I know this week, one of the questions around the house was, why did they put in there Ephrathah? It's a great question. It would be, I, I would liken it to if you live in Pendleton, maybe a category or region of Pendleton would be your township. What township do you live in? It, and you might think, well, what's the big deal? Well, there could have been, and I believe there, there, were, there was another Bethlehem. It, it's, it's specifically identifying this Bethlehem. But I think it's something even better than that. I believe that it is, this is a prophecy God's given to Micah to put forward to help us today be able to go, you know what? God's pretty specific about this. God is so specific about where this ruler is going to come. He nails, he says, Bethlehem, Ephraim, this right here on the map. This is where he's going to come from. How many of the prophecies throughout scripture is God very specific on? He lands on them very specifically. No different right here in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That's where this ruler is going to come from. Now, turn your attention, please. Turn your Bibles to Matthew for just a moment. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, where was he born? Bethlehem. In the days of Herod, the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Of course he was, because he was selfish and because he didn't want any rivals to his throne. That's why he was troubled. That's my commentary on what the text says. He, that's why he was troubled. And, and all Jerusalem with him. 
When he had gathered all the chief priests, look what he does, and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. What's this tell us about Herod? He doesn't know a whole lot about this Christ to come. He's pretty ignorant about this Christ to come. And so he gathers the folks and, he, he, and, and they say to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, I love this phrase, for thus it is written by the prophet. And, and let's together answer the question, which prophet are we speaking? Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. While we're in the Gospels, turn to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 2. Remember this decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. Wait a minute. So he wasn't in Bethlehem. Do we see this? He wasn't already there in Bethlehem. He, he was moving. There was... The events of the day, God was orchestrating events during that particular time. There was a census and everyone was going to their town to be registered. And Joseph goes up from Galilee, out of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of whom? David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with him. God is orchestrating the events for Joseph to be in Bethlehem where Micah has prophesied, this is where the ruler is going to be coming from. Church, this is exciting. This is so exciting because you know what? There are so many people who don't see the pieces over here and the pieces over here and the pieces here and the pieces here. And when we look at the scripture and we see how all these pieces fit together and they do fit together. It's exciting. It's it's so much more than just a baby born. We see, like we said last week, it's about the whole picture of his coming. What he did in his coming. What he accomplished in his coming. And we look forward to what he will be doing and accomplishing in his next coming. Micah 5. There's so much here that we could talk about. Micah 5, the end of Micah 5 too, I find interesting as well. This one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You know, church, this takes me back to Genesis 3.15, where I was a few weeks ago. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It also reminds me of the promises that God has made throughout the scriptures to his people. Starting in Genesis 3.15, working our way Genesis 9 and 10 and seeing how the promise goes and works through the line of Shem. Promise goes through Abraham, Genesis 11 and 12. Genesis 26, the promise to Isaac and your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 35.11, promise to Jacob that a nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you and kings shall come from your body. The blessing I spoke of earlier in Genesis 49 about what's going to be happening in the line of Judah. We see even in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that, that the prophecy of, of another prophet to come. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking. There's going to be a prophet like me that God's going to raise up from your midst, from your brethren. 
him you shall hear. I will raise up for them, God says, a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him and it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Church, let me tell you that the gospel is right there in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He will still today require it of you if you do not hear his words and do not heed this prophet of whom he speaks, which is Jesus Christ, the ruler to come. Micah 5 verse 2. And on and on it goes. Isaiah, Kevin spoke of last week, wonderful continuation. And we see this Isaiah 9 is of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. That tracing of the line of David to order it and establish it with what? Judgment and justice. That, that, that's a big theme in this book of Micah. And how's it going to accomplish How's it going to happen? The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will accomplish it. You see, this ruler to come, his goings forth from of old, from everlasting. If people only understood how foolish it is to strive against a king who has existed from everlasting. From everlasting. Think about it for just a moment. It's hard, isn't it? That's how long he's existed. He draws a vivid contrast between the ruler to come and the rulers of the day. You see even in chapter 3 of Micah, in chapter one, verse 1, O heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Don't, in other words, you're supposed to be ruling justly. The implication is they're not. We see in verse 5, he speaks of the prophets. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray. See, the prophets weren't supposed to do that, church. They were supposed to lead the people correctly, lead them in the way they should go. Who make my people stray, they chant peace, while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare, they, they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. In other words, they're in this for gain, aren't they? You know what the Bible says just as much. Verse 9, chapter 3. The heads of the house of Jacob, rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice, there it is, and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity. Listen to the verse 11. Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. And then we get to Micah 3.12, which is, the quote from Jeremiah 26. We read that earlier. Talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. This ruler to come would be much different. And he would require his subjects to walk in righteousness. This ruler is going to serve as a shepherd. Micah pictures a shepherd king standing and feeding. The word feeding in the New King James really has in mind shepherding. In fact, that prophecy in Matthew's gospel that we read, remember when Herod gathered the chief priests and they quoted, but it, as it is written in the prophet, by the prophet, Micah. That quote there combines Micah 5 verse 2 and Micah 5 verse 4. Combines them together there in Matthew's gospel. 
and brings out this picture, this image of the shepherd king. It says that he is standing and feeding, shepherding his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord is God and they shall abide. And there I was reminded of John 15 and the picture there of abiding in the vine of Christ. They shall abide in this king who is going to rule. For now he shall be great, listen to this, he shall be great to the ends of the earth. You see, this is not going to be just a ruler over Judah. This is going to be a ruler over all. Philippians, every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. There is going to be a day. It's prophesied and it's talked about here. And we see even in the Gospels this imagery, this picture of the good shepherd, Jesus as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And we see that in the arrival of the son, this, in the course of events, God is orchestrating. His son is going to come. He is going to rule. And he is going to be this good shepherd who is going to lay down his life for the sheep. You see, this Jesus that we're talking about, is the one who atones completely, sufficiently for the sins of his people. Matthew 1, 21. That's one of the reasons he came, was to save his people from their sins. But we see Hebrews even speaks to this. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, at the end of the book, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. Isn't that a great phrase? That great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. We see that Jesus not only atones for your sin, but Jesus also here in the Hebrews passage speaks to his sanctifying work, his ongoing work through the blood of Jesus. We are sanctified. We are being made into his image. And in that first Peter chapter five, shepherd the flock, Peter says, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, as some were doing in the day of Micah, but eagerly, not as being Lord over those entrusted to you, as some were doing in the days of Micah, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, there he is. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. You know, I was reminded not only about Jesus and his atoning work and what he did through us, not only about his sanctifying work that he still is accomplishing today, but I'm reminded of Jesus' coming. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 that he is coming quickly and his what? His reward is with him. That's good news. church, you see the end of this passage in Micah chapter 5. This one shall be peace. We sang the song earlier, Prince of Peace. Isaiah speaks of the names, the references to this one who was going to rule. Mighty God, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
Paul speaks in Ephesians about Christ being our peace. About Christ preaching peace. About the work Christ did to bring peace about through the work of the cross. That's how peace happens. And in fact, you can't have peace within you unless you know the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know that peace, you really truly don't have peace. Maybe you think you do. But according to what we read in the Bible, the peace that only Christ can give, it's different than that of the world. Isn't that what John's gospel says? Do you have that peace? The one we're speaking of this morning, this ruler that's being prophesied by Micah, this one who is yet to come, the one who in our day has come, and now we're able to see it through a different lens, are we not? He is the Prince of Peace. Praise the Lord for that. Church, I'll leave you with a passage tied into the Good Shepherd imagery. But what a comforting passage it is. And in light of the context of the book of Micah, in which many were being oppressed, the heavy handedness of those ruling over the people, I praise the Lord for. God sending a man like Micah, and Micah being obedient to the call, to go and speak this word that needed to be spoken. It's a word that needs to be spoken today. Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. And his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm. And carry them in his bosom. And gently lead those who are with young. This one. This one shall be peace. He himself is our peace. And we praise the Lord that he is our Prince of Peace. Praise God for his word this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Father, it is so good to be able to open your word and to receive from your hand your truth. Your word is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path showing us, illuminating for us from beginning to end who this son of yours is. You reveal him, not just in the Gospels, although we see a great picture in the Gospels of the Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that we also are able to see that from of old, from everlasting, you are painting a picture of your son, his love for us, his need to come. But not just the fact that he would need to come. Lord, you have also provided for us in your good word reason and purpose for his coming. And Father, today we just want to say thank you. Father, in his coming, 
He saved us, rescued us, delivered us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. Thank you for bringing us out of darkness and placing us into that wonderful, marvelous light. Thank you for qualifying us. Oh, Father, you are the only one that can qualify us through Jesus Christ and through the blood of the cross. And we thank you for rescuing us from who we once were, walking in darkness, wallowing in darkness, content with operating in the flesh. Father, you have given to us your son, Jesus, that we may now walk in newness of life, that we might now take hold of these very words that you've given to Micah in chapter 6. You've given to us clear instruction of what's required. Oh, Lord, I pray that we as a people would also do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, as Micah says at the end of his book, who is a Lord like you? Oh, Father, we thank you. There is none like you. And Father, the reminder at the end of his book the reminder, the hope that's put forward to us that this ruler to come would be one who would pardon for all time the iniquities of his people. He would cast them far from the east and the west. He would put them in the depths of the sea where they'd be remembered no more. Oh, Father, you are so good in the reminder in the midst of all the pending destruction, the pending judgment the sins of the people, you end this book with a wonderful message of hope. And it's a reminder for us even today of the sin that separates us from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may we never forget to deal with and to repent of our sin, this sin that so easily entangles us. May we come to see in the light of Micah the prophet that you are a ruler who gently leads, who carries us, who leads us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Oh, Father, I pray that we would walk with you and desire to walk with you in the days ahead. We thank you for this message, this reminder of the advent seen through the prophet Micah. May we come to know this message in a greater way in the days ahead, and may we continue to teach our own children these messages about Christ's coming, linking passages together to see how your word connects and relates to one another and all throughout Scripture. We thank you that your word is truth, and we thank you that we can stand firmly upon your promises. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.